0: Two, three. Hey, I'm Gary
1: David, and I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds.
0: Growing up as a young sociologist, I really never imagined myself working at a business school. In sociology, we were taught that business and capitalism were essentially the antithesis or antithesis of what we were discussing in our social theory and our social courses. I remember actively, this is true, I would actively avoid walking through the business school when I was an undergraduate on cold winter days in Northern Michigan, just out (laughs) of principle. I was just not going to use their comfort and heat to uh, guard against the cold and the snow. Did the,
1: did the business students were they also wearing suits all the time they might have been i don't know i avoided that
0: outside, that's true we moved know. in different circles good point because business was something to be fought against since the model of business especially in the 1980s and 1990s was built around this idea of profit over people shareholders over stakeholders and wall street over main street however ironically After spending the past 23 years at a private business school, my thinking has become a bit more nuanced, shall we say. While there still are important reasons to be suspicious and critical of the motives and impacts of business, especially those large multinationals, and you know who I'm talking about, there are other indications of businesses being forces of change. My own school has touted business for good as a mantra where businesses are part of the solution to the massive challenges and wicked problems facing all of us, rather than the source of those massive problems and uh, challenges. Additionally, business as a concept, when people talk about business, it's a bit too broad to be really that useful. After all, businesses include the family store down the street, as well as that financial institution that's located around the world, and as the... Organization, the Business Roundtable endorsed a stakeholder model versus a shareholder model. There is more discussion of ethics and social responsibility as a fundamental part of business. So we are left wondering just how serious can these claims be taken and really how serious are businesses about being partners in rebuilding a better society?
1: Mm. And these are legit questions that need answers, especially increasingly today as we grapple with bigger and wider challenges globally, environmentally, politically, socially. And so the role of what business could be is, is a key question that really interests us and intrigues us here on Experience by Design. And so to dig into this around these ideas of social responsibility and business, we're really excited to welcome Drew Bonifiglio from MZingo. And MZingo was born out of an academic exercise, which is something that we always like. School that now exists as a kind of thought and action leader in making businesses a force for good. So replacing the study abroad experience with more of a focus on social entrepreneurship. I really wish I had this back in the day when I was. Me in too. Uh, you know, Mzingo offers this this pathway right to help businesses do better and to be better partners for creating positive social change. So I, I do I do wish I had a time machine to to go back and <laughs> plot this in my school. Um, So one of the the things that Drew relates, I think is really important is that businesses aren't separate from society, right? They need to be held accountable for their actions. So in this case, we're going to be talking about challenges of making businesses live the words that they speak. So I think you're right on Gary with the big question of how serious can we take these claims about business and social responsibility? So how do we help? businesses do that. Live those words that they speak. We're also going to be talking about the B Corporation movement or B Corps and how MZingo has been a part of that effort to create certified socially responsible businesses. Now, working with company leaders and employees, Drew and MZingo try to create socially responsible experience and design outcomes for a better society, something else that we love. And finally, we'll be talking about how swimming in mayonnaise can get very tiring. It and can. You have no idea, right?
0: Don't ask me how I know that. Yeah.
1: Just don't look at his Twitter from 1997. Absolutely. And also, we're going to look at how trust is the absolute key when asking companies and employees to wade into uncertainty. See that pun there? Just Love Wading into the, the mayonnaise of uncertainty. Wading into
0: the mayonnaise of uncertainty. So we had a great time <laughs> talking with Drew. And I actually should mention, I got to know Drew when he ran a program at my university um, about thought leadership, and design thinking as a way to improve curriculum. So really excited to have him on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy our chat.
1: Yep. Oh, and just, just as a heads up, just so... so. So Drew knows too, because I told Gary, I have a hard stop at 920. So y'all can keep going if if it's, if it's good, like, but if I disappear, that's why I'm not, I'm not just leaving to. to, to, (laughs) He's mad. You offended him. If Adam Adam
0: disappears, it's because you probably offended him in some kind of way. Yeah. You should really take some time to reflect (laughs) and contemplate on what you did wrong. (laughs) We won't tell you what you did wrong.
2: We'll leave you you to figure it out for yourself. I'm going to assume it's because I left Somerville, but. Um, that, you can that's, tell me later.
0: Can you ever <laughs> yeah. really truly leave Somerville? I mean, isn't it doesn't always like stay with you. It's part of me. Part of me forever. Yeah. <laughs> part of you forever. What was the attraction to living in Somerville? I've, I've never wanted to live in Boston because it seems crowded.
2: Yeah, it, it was definitely dense, right? But we were in New York before that. And oh, okay. uh, much more so, space then. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so my wife grew up in Oregon, but her brother is a professor at MIT, and he had been in Somerville for years. And so when we were looking around, uh, found we actually found a place right right next to some friends of ours, and and a seven minute walk from my my brother in law. So it uh, it worked out pretty well. And you know we were close enough to, to Davis, we could walk to the subway pretty easily. So that was that was our initial very practical, uh, you know, Somerville decision. It's MIT, that's that
0: vocational school in Cambridge, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I teach a lot of engineering and stuff like that.
2: Supposedly. That's yeah. good. I mean, I'm 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 all in favor of votech. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I support he's, that. He's he's somewhere in in biophysics, so I don't know I don't know what you where you throw
0: that. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever, biophysics, electrical engineering. It's all basically just like kind of
2: learn skills and apprenticeships. Yeah, I consider him my claim to fame because he's so much smarter than I am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's the conversation like when you say, how's work going? And he's describing biophysics
2: to you, like, like what, what, what goes on there? Well, so my brother-in-law is, uh, mostly wants to talk about beach volleyball. So that's, that's usually where the conversation lands, no matter what the first, the first question is, because he plays like five times a week down in, down in Dorchester. <laughs> well, there's a lot there, like Dorchester beach volleyball, but is it the biophysics of beach
0: volleyball? Is it trajectory and angles and acceleration and deceleration <clears> of orbs in space?
2: I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that the, he's not the only academic that's that's in the space. So I imagine they have some, uh, yeah, some, some nerdy conversations, you know, When I think about the beach volleyball mecca of the world, I do think of Dorchester, Massachusetts. Well, you check it out. And if you want to, you want to play, I know the, I know the right guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, but thanks.
0: I'll, I'll think about it. I don't think I have the, the vertical acceleration to, uh, to achieve in beach volleyball. A very inclusive group, Gary. I don't. Don't he was uh, not tall enough, nor was he fast enough. (laughs) Well, you know. Speaking of uh, inclusivity, you know, I I I did want to ask you about the B Corp stuff because Mzingo is a B Corp, and I'm I'm working at a business school, as I often reference on the podcast. It's always surprising to me how few people know that B Corps exist. Yeah, that's it's a kind of thing in which, you know, there's employee ownership and it has certain kinds of values and the way in which it's, you know, has purpose driven work and all these other things. So like what, yeah. how, when, when you talk about being a B Corp to people, what do you describe it as? And what was the journey to becoming certified as a B Corp?
2: Yeah. So, well, Gary, I, I don't know all of your, your listeners. So I'm going to, I'm going to step back before I answer your question directly. Cause I think part of the confusion, even though for those who who do know or have heard of it, is that there are two different things and they get confused all the time. So there's a certified B Corp. OK, and that's what MZingo is. So our company, we are a registered LLC, right? Like we're a partnership right. and we're a certified B Corp. So we went through this process with the nonprofit Called B Lab that runs this certification, and they look at these different elements of governance, community impact, environmental impact, you know, customers, and 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 so that's the certification. And right now, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, actually, maybe they they just passed five thousand certified wow. companies globally. Right hmm. number sounds great, and I think uh, don't 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 quote me, but I think they have more than more than that in the queue to get certified, right? So there's this huge backlog now after, you know, whatever, 15 years almost of of the entity existing, like, you, you know, you're really starting to see that steep curve for the certification. Now, there's also a legal entity benefit corporation, and this exists... In I think roughly 35 states in the U.S. and then a couple uh, a couple international locations, and that's where instead of you know registering as an S corp or an LLC, you, you register as a benefit corporation. And there's yeah. language in those corporate incorporation documents saying basically you can, you can consider social and environmental impact um, you know on par with with your fiduciary duties. And so um, just the fact that they have the same name is confusing to people. Right and and you can be one or both or neither, right? <laughs> right. So, um, so we're on the one side that's the certification, not the incorporated legal entity. Um, so in terms of the journey, uh, well, I'll step back. So, Mzinga was started as an academic exercise when I was in grad school, and so this was during the midst of the financial crisis, right? So, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, doing my MBA. Uh, Ramon Marmalejos, my my co-founder, and I met during uh, during our program. And you know I think we just had a lot of the same values, right? And so we were not very happy with watching business spiral and kind of what, what we were calling it, you know, the irresponsible leadership that was happening in business at the time. And so uh, so we started on Zingo and you know kind of top line, we wanted to be part of developing the next generation of responsible leaders in business and uh, so I'll I'll answer your question about B Corps. You know, fast forward a few years into our journey with Mzingo, and we realized, oh wow, there's this, this thing that exists, this this B Corp certification, and it it is very much aligned with exactly who we are and what we want to do, and we want to be part of the community. Um, and so there's this B Impact assessment that you have to go through that asks a bunch of questions on. Um, those different areas of your business, like I said, environmental, governance, community, uh, employee, etc. So, uh, gotcha. so that that and that's gotten more onerous over the years. They've kind of continued hmm. to raise the bar. So, uh, yeah, we got in. I think we were doing our application in 2014. Um, so, it's been about eight years. It's good thing you got in early. <laughs> you have to recertify, so we're not totally <laughs> oh. off the hook. But, but yeah, ha- happy that we got some experience in the in the earlier days.
1: And so through through Mzingo, so you kind of mentioned this is a, a educational kind of came out of grad school, kind of uh, mixing together kind of education, social impact, transformative leadership. So tell us a little bit about that, because one of the other really cool things um, that has come out of this that I've seen is that you have different kinds of programming that you've offered, as well as then it's global also. So so how did that how did that come about? Like we're not when you think B Corp, I would tend to think it's registered in the U.S., but obviously if we're thinking globally, like how did that kind of come into your your thinking process?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so I think for for us, creating powerful experiences in general is at the core of what Ramon and I wanted to do. We didn't see, you know, another business ethics course kind of meeting the moment, and and so wanted to create something that was going to be powerful and different for for the participants. So, you know, rewind twelve years when we were starting it off, you know, Ramon and I didn't have a Rolodex of of CEOs and could just call them up and say, Hey, we want to do this for your employees. But what we did have was a pretty good network within the academic space, including, you know, a pretty entrepreneurial, uh, alma mater in IE business school, which is based in Madrid, where, where we were studying. And so we, we convinced them, them to pilot this program. And you knowing that students, whether it's undergrad or graduate, they're already in sort of this transition moment, or at least, a, a a place. Both physically and mentally, that's different than where they will be soon thereafter. Uh, said this is a great time to open their minds and um, exposure expose them to different different experiences. In our view, we thought it was really important to think about how business can be a force for good, right? And that's kind of, that's a, the the B Corp tagline, but it was very much in line with what we were thinking about. And so we we wanted to replace, you know, kind of your. Just general abroad experience, or your summer internship with something that was more meaningful and would help people rethink business's role in society. And so, uh, you know, it's hard to to rewind exactly twelve years, but you you didn't have as many centers for social entrepreneurship or all of the opportunities that a that a new student, you know, entering, you know, this coming fall would would have. And so, um, so for us, we we launched this program. We were in Spain. We had some connections through our classmates in South Africa. Uh, the World Cup was happening in 2010 when we were launching. So okay. it was kind of an, an attractive place for people to, to go. And um, and so we launched our first program, bringing students who were you know from all over the world, but attending the MBA program in IE to Johannesburg and piloted that. And so we thought, one, taking them out of uh, this MBA bubble, even if they had move from a different country to be there, but get out of that MBA bubble uh, to somewhere else. And then the work that they were doing was uh, cohort-based and team-based. So we had a group that had this uh, collective shared experience over, over eight weeks, and then they worked in teams. And the teams worked on projects with nonprofits and social enterprises, uh, you know, small businesses doing, doing the work, right? Like doing the hard work on the ground. Um, in in South Africa, in this case, and then we layered that with uh, leadership development curriculum to create that space and time for for reflection right not just whip through the the project experience and, um, and and you know the travel, but actually pause, reflect, have time to think about not just how is this impacting me but how how am I engaging with the community members how am I engaging with the organization we're working with how might this or May not influence my my career choices at the end of this this MBA program, um, and so that was kind of the original and, and as you mentioned adam it's it's evolved, and we do a bunch of different things now, but I think still to the core is that business is a force for good and and creating that space and time for people to uh, to connect some different dots that they might not during the the rush of the normal academic experience. I want to uh, introduce you to cynical Gary for a second. <laughs> Please.
0: Because one of the things I, you know, I wonder about is every generation except for generation X, which I belong to, because no one thinks about us, but it's like this generation is going to change things. So, you know, the boomers who came up like, you know, in the sixties, they're going to change things. And then we were greatly disappointed. Um, And then, you know, this idea that millennials are going to, you know, this generation has values, they get it, or Gen Z, they really care about these social things and they get it, you know, so, to what extent can we talk about millennials or Gen Zs getting it? and then being in organizations to be business for a, a force for good? Or once they get in business, is the structure of traditional business such that no one it's too hard to change to make it a force for good over just a generator of profit? Or is it that you know new companies, new things need to start up? To act as a counterweight against those traditional businesses who are only, uh, you know, shareholder driven and not stakeholder driven. So for those of us, including Cynical Gary, who are like, eh, you know, it sounds like a nice trip. But once they go work at, you know, some company, some Fortune 500 company, it's all, they're all going to sit and do the same stuff that anybody ever does.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think skeptical Gary has a point, <laughs> and 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 I like I have a a skeptical Drew in, inside me as well. I think you know I I don't think I would have started the company and gone into this work if I didn't believe we could make a difference. But it's right. not the only difference, right? And so I I kind of think that there are uh, I'm sure there are more than this, but you know three three layers, if you will, that I'm thinking about. One is the the individual, right? The the personal choices that I'm making, right? Whether that's which company to work for, or which career I want to pursue, or just how I lead, how I manage when I'm, when I'm in a place. And so through the university programs and, and in some cases, the, the corporate work that I do, it's, it's that emphasis on, on the individual and individual uh-huh. development. Not, not only that, but right. I think that that's where we hope to have an, an influence, right. And kind of nudge the trajectory in, into a, a, a direction that yeah, I think is, is in line with um, what, what skeptical Gary's skeptical of, <laughs> right? Um, and then, and then it, there does need to be organizational change as well, right? And so it could be the the difference between you know being Patagonia and and just greenwashing, right? So at the the company level, right. Uh, but but I think Gary, where where I feel similarly, I don't know if it's skeptical or just feeling like it's the the bigger challenge, even is we're working within these systems, right? That right. that need to get changed. And they have a lot of inertia. They have a lot of existing, a lot of people who are in power already that that might not want to change things. Um, and so so I do think that's a that's a reality that people are going to be up against. I'm I'm not naive to think, you know, spending six weeks in 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 Peru for an American student. Changes the world and, and I don't think we're trying to claim that. we're saying, hey, we want to be part of many the many tributaries that are headed into hopefully you know a longer term river of, of change if you you know want to play that metaphor out. <laughs> it also makes me think really quickly about you know it's an interesting
0: you know framework about the individual organizational systemic because I think about private companies who can buffer themselves against the systemic because they aren't beholden to investors or analysts or you know larger forces of capitalism that might be only driven by profit, that they can live to a certain kind of compass, a pathway, because mm-hmm. it's individuals and organizations, and not necessarily just the system like a Patagonia.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I work with one decent sized family business and private. And it's the same thing. I'm not saying they're necessarily pioneers but they made some decisions to really invest in sustainability a few years ago. And it was their decision, right? They didn't have to worry about the, the, you know, public markets reactions.
1: Hmm. Do you find though that, that, you know, with some of the social enterprise groups that you've worked with, or even kind of how you, you frame your own business practices, that there is There's been an increase, you know, we've seen like with things like ESG as a a general principle that we see organizations, environmental, social governance having to respond to more and more because Mm of both public scrutiny, some some kind of government interventions. Um, But also, again, like public sentiment is shifting, too. So I think there's some interesting pieces here to even think about that. I I suspect um, that on the the kind of the, of the, the access of the individual organizational and systemic that a lot of individuals are now coming to be more aware of the systemic shift, like a rise of ESG and like ESG is, is both a reaction to public sentiment changing. And it's also then a thing that creates more public consciousness about these these ideas. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there, I think also there's there's some level of a feedback loop happening now that like didn't happen 20 years ago, right? That, that's like been picking up steam, which is interesting because I mean you also mentioned the Patagonia versus greenwashing. And so this is the, I think, the other interesting challenge space where um when we talk about social impact, you know, there is an increasing skepticism of, you know, okay, this company's just saying that they're using more sustainable practices, but they're actually not, right? Or they're, you know, the the now more infamous, you know, story that the plastic industry has actually really just kind of told us the story that we can recycle a lot more than we actually can to help us to help sell plastic. So yep. um, there's interesting recognition with the kinds of stories that organizations tell. And so it's interesting to think about on an individual level, what can we do and like what kind of transformational experiences can we offer that to your point? Yeah. Like one person may or may not change the world, but if you can change somebody's world, then that can change, like the, the kind of trajectory they may be on in the first place. So I think there is an interesting upflow, and I mean, I, I imagine that's also what we're, we're pointing towards as well. That, um, you know, when we're seeing both the systemic change and a rise of in thinking around sustainability or ESG, and then individuals are more aware of that, and then we have programs like Mzingo that can then give people a step outside of their own kind of zone into a social enterprise space or an NGO where they otherwise might not have done that. Um, I, I can see the kind of the snowball effect there, which I think is really interesting. But it is this challenge, right? Because right in the middle is the organization. And how do we get the organization to change? Because it'll buffer on either side. Individuals, one person, an employee in the organization, or the system is not requiring me to change the regulations. So um, I think that's like the, like the B Corp is why I think this is an interesting kind of middle inflection point to, to we think about here. It's it's like change management is so, so tricky because it's like working with individuals to make an organization change you know, and then how do we kind of think across those, those three areas? So I'd love to kind of get, get your thoughts in this process, whether from a Zynga or breathing some of the other projects that you've done too, is like, how do we think across this, like the individual and organizational and systemic to help organizations transform? Cause that's like leadership. I think is one of the ways you were talking about this before of how do we kind of change from who has the power to change. Right. But, um, so and it's, it's a broad question, but I'm just kind of interested in, in your thoughts of like, how do we bring those pieces together around the, the organization?
2: So how do we bring how do we bring together the individual org and systemic together? Yeah. Well, so I to so drive change. I, yeah, to, to drive change. I mean, I think that that first of all, you know, there's not there's not a single profile across an organization, especially of any of any size, right? And so the idea that change happens all at the same pace in the same way for the same people, because of a, a beautiful PowerPoint made you know, made by by a change management consultant or something is you know is not is not realistic and so so I think that one of the things that you know maybe is more in in my my DNA anyway and and potentially yours as uh, you know experience experts and design thinking folks you know it would be like let's find those pockets of greatness right like let's find the things that are working that are inspiring and then see. See how we can can kind of roll them out more, right? So if somebody starts an initiative in, in this particular department, and they have um, you know followership from people around them. Uh, then then how do we how do we test that in another place, and how do we replicate it? And and maybe there are tweaks made because yeah, you know, especially in big companies, right? Like functional group A kind of has a slightly different culture than functional group B, right. Right? And, and thinking about mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think you know in terms of of, of integrating the system. I think this is going to be a continued tension, you know, maybe forever, right? But you know, you saw all all of the responses after the murder of George Floyd, right? And mm-hmm. I don't have the stats in front of me about you know who's followed through on on commitments or promises or who's still even talking about it. Um, but but I think at that point, you know, to your to your point earlier, Adam, there there was an expectation that you'd say something, that you would respond, right? And I think it was almost mm-hmm. noticeable if if a company didn't and. Yeah. And, and, and so I think there is going to be an ongoing tension of well, what do we weigh in on? How do we how do we prioritize our our different, especially financial resources, and what what are we inviting our employees to share with us? Right, I right. forget. Was it? Um, I think it was Basecamp or one of the project management tools. You basically told their people stop <laughs> stop talking about certain issues, right? After mm-hmm. they they had previously said bring your whole self to work, bring your authentic self to work. We want to, except you know. for that
0: part of yourself. We don't want, yeah. we want right. your whole self except for that. Maybe, yeah.
2: maybe seventh, eighths of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Netflix, you know, basically telling people, Hey, listen, you might work on projects you don't agree with. Right. I, I think uh, right. in some ways and I, I don't know if it's direct response to the, you know, stuff about uh, trans issues and, and, Dave Chappelle, et cetera. But I think it's just going to be an ongoing tension and I I wish I had a solution, but I think the systemic is going to continue to weave its way in and just tying it back to the B Corp movement. I think we're saying, Hey, if we're doing, if we're doing things differently, we can, we can set an example and we can model ways of, of, of balancing this kind of stakeholder capitalism um, in a, in a different Mm -hmm. way. And, and I don't know that it's perfect. And I don't even know that after only 15 years, we can say that they have the exact formula, but um, it, it's certainly something I'd rather experiment with than business as usual. It it's, you know, makes me think about, you're talking about George Floyd, and we can even think about,
0: don't say gay laws or bills in Florida and the extent to which Disney employees, and this is where I think it, this, this generation or these, early, these generations now are kind of interesting to have more tools at their disposal, because even though the CEO of Disney gave out a very tepid response to these bills that were being promoted or and proposed or passed mm-hmm. and then the employees went none no 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 that's not good enough we need to hear more from you then the person came back out with a stronger statement and then the governor went no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> so yep. it's interesting to see how org- companies are being caught in particular states are being caught in between what their employees are looking for and demanding. And then the politics of the governments of the political figures and what they're trying to accomplish and achieve and how companies are just navigating. And this goes back to commitment. What are you about? Are you just, are you serious about your purpose driven work as long as you don't have to do anything serious? Mm Mm-hmm. Like with, you know, Mm -hmm. talk about whatever you want. Okay. We're going to talk about this. Okay. Not that. Yeah. Because now it's actually serious. Now you're demanding we act or is it really, you know, we're going to relocate from Florida to California, or we're not going to expand as many employees in Florida until this gets sorted out. I mean, our, our, our employees being the leaders here Mm -hmm. and causing their leadership, their C level leadership to act in ways that they might not otherwise do.
2: Yeah. Uh, And I think, I think that we're going to see a lot of interesting things come out of this Dobbs decision, right. As you know, different States are having different, different laws and you know, you see companies making announcements like Yelp, for example, Hey, we're going to pay for people who, um, you know, need reproductive health care, and your state doesn't allow it. And then, um, Mm. so I, I, yeah, I, I just don't see us untangling um, and there's never really a free market, right? There always this, there's always regulation right. and, and stuff surrounding us. So it's going to be a constant tension. Let me introduce you to mm-hmm. Cynical Gary about the Dobbs <laughs> decision.
0: Because part of me was, I was talking about this with folks. I'm like, you know, I think Amazon was saying like $2,000 to travel for elective procedures, including reproductive health. Then mm-hmm. Cynical Gary said, yeah, but $2,000 is much cheaper than maternity leave and having to color, cover a newborn for um, healthcare. Mm-hmm for a company. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and, but at the end of the day, does it matter? I mean, yeah. does the motivate if Let's say company X is like, we're going to give employees $2,000 to, if they want to get an abortion, travel, get an abortion. Cause you know what? $2,000 is a lot cheaper than having someone, you know, have a child and having, you know, causing us to pay for their health care. Mm-hmm. Now that's very cynical. Yeah. But does it matter? I mean, mm-hmm. do, do we, do we care that the motivation might be not what we want, but the outcome is what we're hoping to achieve.
2: Yeah, I mean I'll I'll add on <laughs> to skeptical skeptical Gary because I think what, what frustrates me is more actually is is looking under a hood and saying, well, who is this cover? Is this just covering our you know our marketing folks that are already making 130K a year? Right? right. Like did they need that 2K? True. What about the contract you know, female person of color driver in Alabama. Right? Are yeah. they are they covered? Are are they not? Do they get that benefit? You know, and and so I think that's you know to me looking in the details is is where where it gets important and and I think. You know, maybe skeptical Gary leads us to more questions, which is, uh, you know, curiosity and, and facts are you know, maybe good good things. Well, skeptical Drew seems like a harder customer
0: than skeptical Gary because I didn't think about that part of it. Right? <laughs> I was just, I'm like, yeah, it's a good point. Like, you know, what about the independent contractors? What about third party vendors? What yeah. about people who are you know seasonal? What about you know what about what about what about? And you know, if you if you're not on the hook for the cost of the child being born are you still advocating for those people because of the principle or are you just marketing as you said for people who are already making enough money that they might be able to cover that themselves is yeah. it a pr campaign a ploy or is it something that you're
2: trying to live by your values yeah yeah well and i don't mean to make this this conversation uh, you know an, an ad for for b corp but i would say you know part of why i, I respond like this is because we, you know, in many ways, are forced to think about this stuff right. when we're whether it's going through the certification or just the types of things that I learned from from other peers right? right who who are who are part of the the community so um i i I think skepticism is healthy in the sense that hopefully it creates different conversations, and you know i I don't have any individual ability to hold Amazon accountable, but <laughs> you know at least at least creating some conversation around it.
1: Yeah, but I think even that's a a really important theme that we are also seeing this this bigger rise in the question of accountability, right? Well both, both for leadership, but then also when you think about employee experience too. Cause I think it's, it's an important question to ask when we're talking about whether it is reproductive rights or it's it's again skepticism around greenwashing, um, you know, from a corporation standpoint, that when we when we talk about who's making decisions, right, who has who is the accountability for, for the putting those decisions in place. And right. And so part of the question that I think we're we're asking, which is a good question, is um, you know, if the if the means aren't necessarily great, you know, if the outcome is what we're looking for, is that okay? But then there's this other part about it, but like who has the accountability for making those decisions? Um, and so when we see either public backlash or skepticism, uh, you know, how can we understand this, this level of accountability? So I mean, also maybe it's it may be a B Corp question, also, but just I think it's a really interesting point. As we think about the idea of social impact and social enterprise too, and, and what, what we can do if with business as a force for good is like there is always going to be the The fiduciary financial question is part of it because that's, you know, businesses have to make money, but at the same time, like how do those flows happen? And so when we think about things like accountability, that's, I think it's where we see kind of the, the conversation shifting where people say, okay, we understand that sustainability quote unquote costs more. We understand that it will cost more to provide extra, you know, reproductive health costs, but Again, like how, what, like what accountability can we expect from from our employers, right? Um, as employees or as as people in society. So I think it's also the idea that like businesses aren't separate from society. So they're, they're playing an interesting role where they can do good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think accountability is like one lever that I think we see people kind of talk about of uh, either how much good and for whom is is that taking place. But does that does that ring true for kind of how you how you see both B Corps or like what social enterprise could do?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that if you talk to people in the B Corp community, they're going to say business is not the only lever, but it's a huge lever for having a positive impact on society overall. And and I'm and I'm I'm all I'm I'm all, I'm on board with that, right? Like I've 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 been part of the community. I believe in that. I think where that can be a, a little bit over oversimplified is is when you are trying to balance it with the financials, right? Like you can't give everything to every cause. And I think even just from a, from a, a, a t- focus and time perspective, right? Like can, can a CEO, for example, truly care and truly be involved in every, in every social issue. And, you know, I would say no, no human can, it doesn't matter if you're CEO or not. And, and so, so I think there, there will, there will all be, always be attention. I think some pressure from employees is, is really healthy and, And then people are going to have to make some choices, right? Like what, what are the things that are most important to your organization, right? And, and maybe it's aligning with your, with your sector, right? If you're, if you're in fashion, okay, maybe it's talking about, you know, make your, your products are being sourced responsibly and there's no slave labor, you know, um, whatever for a coffee, you know, coffee company, right? Like make, so, so I think that there are always going to be choices and, and trade offs, uh, and, and, and employees will probably, continue to expect more from companies over overall. I, I think at least that's where we're trending right now. Not necessarily trying to predict, you know, two decades from now. Cause, cause who knows what can happen, but right. <laughs> uh, Adam, I did that answer your question. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I, if I got at it directly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was
1: also an indirect question, but yes, I, yeah, <laughs> totally. Cause it's just, it's just this idea in terms of, um, I mean, what really strikes me about this is how, you know how do we think about like when we're trying to think about experience design? Obviously, we're we're trying to integrate a lot of, especially from from you know our social science perspective or Gary, Gary and nice kind of views as anthros and, and sociologists. That you know what does it mean to kind of think more holistically about it? I think it's it's been interesting to watch businesses begin to grapple with this too. And then there are things like change management, there are things like a B Corp status, there are things like social enterprise that are also trying to bring that more holistic perspective into play, right? And so I think the way the way you're, you're kind of expressing that I think is really interesting that we are seeing employees continue to demand more. And I see that in relationship to the other idea that we mentioned before that bring your whole self to work. There's obviously, you know, the challenges with that, we're seeing with Netflix and with Yelp, with Amazon, there's, there's ways that this can be challenging when something you know pushes a social nerve at the next one. Right. But it's kind of like the door keeps opening. The dam keeps like moving that the, the river is moving down That what's the, what's the metaphor? You know, the rock is moving down the river. Um, the glacier is, is slowly changing things. But, you know, I think it's interesting to see that, that there are these, I guess, systemic shifts, right. That like, are then having individuals say, I demand to kind of see a little bit more. Like if I'm going to bring my whole self to work, that means then you need to also accept my whole self. So that means you need to right. bring my whole self actually be this other side that I don't talk that much about. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, like a, a super simple example is, is that's like, you know, telling somebody that you, you, I don't know, love like death metal at work. And that may be like, it sounds very small and silly, but like at the same time, that may not have been something you would share, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago or something, depending on where you work. And now we're saying, okay, you know, I want to see more reproductive rights and access through my workplace. And then beyond that, how does that relate to something like maybe abortion, right? And Mm -hmm. and like now that there's this become re-controversialized with with the uh, Supreme Court. So like, I think it's interesting to see like, not that there's a, there's a through line to the to music and, and reproductive rights, but just this this idea here in terms of how do we what what societal shifts are we seeing mm-hmm. thinking holistically about the employee experience, you know, in this case, or, or like the customer experience around a business um, when there's these social parts. Like the social can't be pulled out. I guess is, is my my circular yeah. thinking about that. So even how you have you kind of approaching this too of that seeing that increased demand I think is really important for businesses to notice um, from employees kind of expecting more because it's not that they're saying I want more like I'm a spoiled child. It's more like, no, we've actually opened to the bigger reality of what life is and that there actually is more complex things. Things are more interconnected than we, than we tend to silo them. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, so I'm also still not indirectly answering your question. (laughs) I'm indirectly answering my question. You know, so it's like, that's the, that's the work. But this idea, I think is interesting that um, it's a big, hairy challenge, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, and Adam, I think, you know, kind of tying the, the, employee experience in here, like when you think in particular about, uh, you know, Dobbs' reproductive rights, et cetera, how many Americans depend on their employer for, for healthcare? Right. Right. And and so in our country, that's a big deal. And so it it gets even more intertwined when that's, that's the system, right. That's the way that so many people are actually getting their healthcare. And in some cases, Mm -hmm. either choosing an employer or staying with one because of these, the benefits, right. The things outside of just my salary, uh, I think, you know, it It does, it gets even hairier, right? When you start to yeah. to think about my, my experience as an employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as we're talking about this, I'm just curious. Cause I know,
0: you know, along with the university based programs, you do corporate, you know, trainings and programs and yeah. leadership development. Yeah. There's a huge things we're talking about, but I, you know, when you come into a company, are they saying we want to change or we want to become more responsive to our employees or we want to develop our leadership and then, how do you get them from this stated aim or desire into action, and then, more importantly, perhaps implementation? Because, as mm-hmm. you know, as I, as we know, design thinking is one aspect; design doing is another aspect. Mm-hmm. So, how do we move from? Say, you know, how do you, how does Mzingo move from stated desire to actual? conceptualization of action into actually implementing
2: those ideas? Yeah. Yeah. So I think first, Gary, it's important to recognize the context that I'm working in, right? I'm, I'm working mostly with, you know, what I would call like B Corp or B Corp adjacent companies. Right. And so I think there's always already a set of values or at least desire to, you know, to treat people well. Right. And to be responsible, corporate citizens, if, if you will. Right. And so, so I think there's always already a bit of, of that desire, which makes, which makes my easier, right. I'm not right. trying to go, you know, pick, pick whatever, whoever you want to vilify in the corporate world. Wells know. Fargo, <laughs> Wells Fargo, I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, a cigarette company or uh, whoever, whoever, you know, generally population might, might. Sig Sawyer. It, they have but. a new armor piercing bullet coming out, I guess so so those are not the folks right that that i'm working with and uh you know we could we could argue whether or not you know makes sense to continue moving the needle on the people who who I'm working with that already, you know, quote unquote, get it, or, or, you know, it'd be more worthwhile to, to try to nudge the other folks that are on the other side of the spectrum. But anyway, I think that's just, just important because um, I don't necessarily need to always come in to inspire some of the big picture, right? So for right. example, I one, you know, one of the clients I'm working with for the last two and a half, three years is a renewable energy company throughout New England, B Corp, they get it, right? And so what we're focusing on is more of the, the day-to-day, right? Like, what is it, what does it look like to to lead or manage in an employee owned company that has a kind of relatively you know distributed leadership model, right? And so, to to answer your question more directly, yeah, you know, and tied into the podcast, right? Experience, right? It's practice, right. so so a, a lot of back and forth between theory and practice, both in a safe environment, which might mean things like you know uh, journaling conversations in pairs, group conversation, role plays, right? The things that let us practice in that safe space. And then what are the safe to try tests and experiments that you all can do before we meet next time, right? Like, how can I go do this thing immediately? Then let's come back and, and share what we learned. Right. And, and, and like, I didn't invent this, right. This is old school, you know, experiential learning model, but I think to, to do it, to do it well, it takes some discipline, right? Cause you can easily fall back into your old habits and so yeah giving people that, you know, it's in some ways liberating because it's like, no, you're going to do this. Then we're going to talk about it. Speaking of accountability, right. In two weeks when we're back together and then we're going to see what else you can try. Right. And, and, and actually experimenting and learning in the real world, not just in a module, right. Or in a, in a training classroom. Um, Yeah. And as part of that, this is more of like, yeah, the nitty gritty of the details. Right. But I, I did 12 hours of workshops and training last Thursday and Friday, actually in, in, in Boston and in Maine. And zero PowerPoint. You know, it's it is active. You you need to be engaged. <laughs> you, you can't sit back and, and let the person up front talk. And so those are a couple of ways I you know, you can probably tell from my voice, get excited about, you know, doing with with our clients.
0: I heard that in order to do change management, you needed good PowerPoints. I think that's what didn't
2: add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm I'm bucking trends. I'm a <laughs> rebel, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I think that that's really an important point too, that that having an actual form of engagement that's one, not passive, like you're just receiving knowledge, but then on top of that, like applying it later um, is, is really important. I think it's interesting even to, to think about this connection between both experience design and experiential learning. And so I like the word you used there was experiment also, like how do we try a couple of things to see what works, like take it out, whether it's journaling or, you know, doing reflective practices or working in groups, I think is really interesting uh, to treat it as experiments too, right? To not not treat like oftentimes consulting, you know, comes with a, a narrative hubris that's like I'm the consultant, I know the answer, I'll tell you. It's, the change management is like always guilty of this, not always, but often guilty of this, right? That here, this is how you make your change with my PowerPoint slide. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting to like think about what if we give ourselves permission to talk about these experiments, right? And that we have to kind of do a couple hypotheses and a couple tests to, to kind of get it to stick understanding what your organizational culture is like or what people are, you know, your individual idiosyncrasies. What's the word? Idiosyncrasies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Like. We'll
0: go with so, that. idiosyncrasies.
1: Yeah. Sure. That's a word. Yeah. That one. Why yeah. Not? Uh new word today here on experience by design. <laughs> uh, you know, but I think that this idea, I think is, is really interesting too, because, um, you know, we talk about the word practice, uh, in medicine, but we don't talk about experiments in terms of like business change and design. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a fun idea. I mean, practice could also work there too, I suppose, but um, yeah. it'd have more semantic work to do. But I think the experiments, I think is, is a really interesting idea yeah. that gives people like a little more room to play.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Adam, I don't want to go too deep down the, the rabbit hole, but a lot of it is based on, you know, complexity theory. Right. And, and so you mm. can't in, 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 human systems, right. In organizations in culture, you, you can't just say, Oh, if I do a, then B will happen. Right. So so we need a little bit of grace and, and experimentation to say, like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nudge the system, and then we're gonna see, we're gonna see what happens. And and I think also when you, you mentioned idiosyncrasies, where my brain went is every human is different. Yeah, maybe there are some some principles that we could abide by for what good leadership or management is. But when I get into that room and I'm having that conversation with you, you know, to share some feedback, I can say the same thing in the same way. And different people will react differently, right? Because mm. uh, you know we're yeah. all impacted by the rest of our lived experience outside of that 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 moment. And so, so that's an, anyway another reason why I kind of embrace the the idea of experimentation and, and kind of, I guess, in the the design thinking prototyping space, right? I'd be like, you know, how do we how do we learn fast um, from uh, in the human part of our work?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Makes sense. And so one of the things that I know we've talked about previously, just in just conversations together, was this drive for experimenting with creating different content. So given all of the different ways that we have to engage with people from no PowerPoint conversations to TikToks, (laughs) you know, and all of these things matter, not just for driving social change, creating engagement, but also branding for companies who are trying to put out a certain kind of message. What are the ways in which you, know, you all are, or, or you personally are looking at being creative with leading the conversation? You know, what are the ways that we can be engaging more to be developing this larger social consciousness to create this greater social impact? I think, uh, so,
2: so I'm probably the wrong person to ask, to be honest. Okay, so. forget that then. We'll scrub it <laughs> from the podcast. No. <laughs> I mean, you, you, don't, you don't even have to do that necessarily. But uh, so I'll just, I'll answer, you know, honestly, like my, my work is mostly high touch and in person. Okay. Right. And, and there's a power to that. And, and that's not to say the other things aren't, um, don't have power and potential. But that's kind of my my sweet spot personally, right? Is is being in the room, really connecting with people, creating a space where we can have the meaningful conversations that don't happen on a day to day, right? I think there are other organizations. One who uh, actually the co founder of of B Lab is running now called Imperative Twenty One, that's trying to do the bigger things, right, and use media as a way to to in, you know in in a way I guess influence public opinion, right? And so uh, they have you know, done, done things on, um, you know, in Times Square, right? Like they're, they're, they're doing different things than the way that I'm engaging with, with my clients, which is in a really, maybe overuse it, rather, like human, like very connected way um, in, in person.
0: I think it's fair because I'm teaching a course on employee experience and it's asynchronous. And one of the things that I've struggled with is do I want to create a module, an asynchronous video-based module on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And I have really strong feelings about not doing that. Not because I don't want to hit the topic, but because I don't know that this is a topic I want people just to do in their own uh, siloed spaces versus having a high touch, uh, you know, in person or synchronous conversation. So it might be something that I only do in a synchronous online mode, so that we can have these conversations and create that dynamic. Versus, here's a video. Go watch it on your own, and you know, write something online. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I do think that there is this space you know for different topics where we need that high touch in person cultivated experience versus just a you know i'm going to throw something not throw something up but i'm going to put something online that you will watch on your own and then i can't necessarily curate and guide and mediate the conversation because i do think you know some of our job as educators and i you know do consider you to be in that space is to not just and, you know, teach content, but to guide conversations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Gary, you know, I, I don't want to speak necessarily to the DEI version, but certainly there's a world where asynchronous and online stuff is meaningful. And we, right. and we do some of that. Right? Right. Yeah, we do. And, and I think one of the things that's really cool about that is accessibility, right? So if we go back to the, the Mzingo origin story, people are, flying all over the world and staying a plate somewhere for some amount of time. So one, carbon footprint. Two, that's pretty expensive for anybody. And so when the pandemic forced us to say, well, what does project-based experiential or immersive learning look like you know, when, when you can't travel, uh, you know, we got creative. And we were doing a bunch of things that helped make that online experience, whether it was synchronous or asynchronous, still feel meaningful. Right. And so I think there there is a there is a place for it. You know, when we start getting into you know, the TikTok, Twitch, etc., like this is where you're probably gonna look at me and be like, I'm hey, kind of a luddite. You know, you don't have <laughs> um, a dancing but, video of you on TikTok about uh, B corpse. I I don't, but I mean, I have four kids who are five and under, so I'm imagining five years from now, I'm gonna have to you know change my ways. So
1: <laughs> Epic rap battles of, of B Corp's. It's on, it's on the way. Right.
2: <laughs> I'll pitch that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think like one of the, one of the, the key points I'm, I'm taking away from, from what, what the, this part of the conversation is that there is something really important about the kind of content that we're creating and, and the impact we're aiming for has to like connect meaningfully with, with our audience, you know? And so I think an important part about that, whether it's the kind of high touch in person, whether it's the a, a TikTok dancing video um, is, is the key of like knowing who it is that we're creating for and, and why. Right. and, and like it's interesting to to think about that because you know we joke, but yes, I think for all of us too. Like over the next twenty years, like what what and how we produce media, how we connect with others. I mean, I mean, there probably won't be any huge change from like the power of meeting in person. But like as things like uh, you know VR meetings get easier and not as much of a pain, or like if the metaverse. Um, isn't just a bunch of cartoon characters like it is right now. Yep. Um, you know, these are also going to change other ways of interacting, and so I think it's it's interesting to to both like think on the content side, and then also the like what's the the audience that we're going for, and like what's what medium is going to get them. You know, and I think that's like interesting because right now it's audiences tend to self select because of medium. We find like TikTok tends to have a younger younger crowd than uh, than Facebook does. Um, if we're looking at social media platforms. But what's interesting is that even like, you know, we have these broad generalizations, but then we we find that even TikTok actually has a pretty high number of folks in their mid-30s on, on the platform. So mm-hmm. um it says younger, but that also then just means like under 40, which that's is that's not younger, mid-30s
0: isn't younger.
1: Yeah, exactly right. It's not it's not saying 12, right? Or, or 18 even. It's younger so. than me at least. Yeah, it's younger than uh, us. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> this interesting idea too. Like that the meaning is also going to shift, right? And so it's like following, kind of following um you know, our audiences a little bit, I think is, is also part of this, this equation. It makes it more complicated, I think a little bit, but, um, I, I think it's, it's something that's know, it's really sat with me too, because it's like, how do we help deliver those messages and that impact, um, as you know, individual people change as they're, they're, what they're looking for changes, but then like, what does it mean for us to know our audiences also? And so I think that's, um, you know, something else that, that I don't know, I'm still thinking through that I, I don't have an answer for it, but, but like, aiming for meaning I think is, is something that is, is helpful that kind of can help direct that, that process. And like, sometimes our audiences are, are we're with them because there already is that meaning that we yeah. share that they, that's, that's why we're doing it. You know? Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So that was Adam, less of
1: a question more of just like, a, I don't know.
2: I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, no I'll just add a, a couple of things when we're thinking about like you know, learning, learning design and employee experience and things like training and workshops, you know, what, some of the other I guess tools or approaches that, that we use are are co-creating the the content and the curriculum with the participants, right? Like there's already mm. a lot of wisdom in the room. And so they don't need me as you know the 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 sage on the stage, right, to tell them certain things. Like we can uplift the voices in the room who maybe started their own business before they were at this company and have all this other great experience that they can bring the, to the table. And then Gary, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a role as educators to be that guide and to, to be there on, on, on the side helping, not always at the front, you know, quote unquote teaching. Right. Um, so I think if you can involve people, one, through kind of using that collective wisdom and two, even garnering input, like not being afraid to change what the educational experience is looking like midstream. Right? It's like, oh, actually, I'm seeing needs from this particular set of learners or participants or however you want to call them, let's pause and reevaluate. Maybe we need to tweak, I don't know if it's in academia, right? Like the last five classes, right? Or in, in our world, we have these modules with the, the project-based work and, and we pause and say, we're going to have a session. It's, it's called mentoring. But, but two weeks ahead of that, I need to know where you all are struggling. And then we're going to go find the right people to help meet you where you are you know, either as individuals or as project teams. And so I think that that involvement just naturally creates more engagement and buy-in from the, the, the people who are learning because, one, it shows care, and, and two, you're actually going to meet the need real time, not you know, just follow the syllabus or whatever the, the learning thing is. also mm-hmm. creates, you know, it's interesting because it also means that you
0: as Mzingo need to have some pretty smart people you know, in the organization, which I know you have, because it's not just a plug and play module one, module two, module three. It's, you need to think on your feet and you need to be able to respond and react and engage in real time, which is, you know, no small trick. And it's pretty admirable to, to be able to, to use that as a tool, because I know professors who won't, Right, mm-hmm. and this is not a slam, but it's working without a net in some ways, but also creates a vulnerability in the room that says, you know, I'm 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 exposing myself and my limitations
2: to you to invite you to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Gary, I think that the, I would use the word risk. Right, there's there's right. an element of risk in that that type of education, that type of approach, and uh, Mzingo's team is is really adaptive, really flexible, and you know, and and I. My, my team member is very smart, um, and we don't always get it perfect. and And I think that's the trade off, right? Is that we might we might try to adjust and not quite hit the mark, or maybe we do for eighty percent of the class, but the twenty percent got left out. You know, and so there there's a, there is an element of risk in it. And I think for us, we see the attentiveness to the existing needs as uh, more important than than some risk of you know failure by being adaptive let me, I've, I've used, I've used, um, you know, course code design
0: with the things I've done. Yeah. You know, I've walked in, the, you know, late in the last semester, I never gave them a, a, a set of assignments that this semester we're going to do these many assignments. We, you know, we made up the assignments as we went mm-hmm. and they were okay with that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it kind of violates the rule of the first day you need to lay out the exact expectations of the entire course. Right. Well, I, How do I do that when I don't know what their needs are? And I don't know what's going to happen over the next three months. Mm -hmm. And I'm teaching sociology and I need to be able to respond. It seems unreasonable that I have to, at the very outset, establish everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because the students, I think because we created this trust in the room, that they were like, no, okay, I'm good with not knowing what my grade is going to be based on. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think, I, I know that your intent, my intent is, is trustworthy. Is, uh, I mean, I don't know what other words you would use, but I, I've, I value what we're trying to do together. I, I would imagine it's similar with, with what you do with your clients.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, and I think that trust is, is the absolute key because essentially what you're asking them to do is kind of wade in uncertainty, right? Cause they don't know exactly. And, and I think, especially for students who are, you know used to that structure and used to, you know being grade focused, not everyone of course but that can be, that can be uncomfortable. Um, and my, uh, I might use this wrong. So there might be Brazilians who, who you know leave comments on the podcast, but my, um, my colleague uh, my co-founder and his wife lived in Brazil for a while and they would use this, the Portuguese phrase like swimming in the mayonnaise. Swimming <laughs> and and mayonnaise. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I just, the visual is, is great, but, you know, kind of just being, being comfortable moving through this space that you're not sure exactly how you're going to get to the end. Uh, and so I, that's always, that's always kind of stuck with me, even though, yeah, you know, not being a, a Portuguese speaker, or having lived in Brazil myself, I'm, you know, I know, I know, I hope I'm not misusing it, but, but that's how it's stuck with me.
0: <laughs> well, even if you're misusing it, we're going to keep it. Yeah. I mean, Adam <laughs> talked about like rocks and glaciers. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure where that was going, but swimming in the mayonnaise, I think I got, uh, not Miracle Whip, but mayonnaise. I, I, I don't know the brands in, you know, in Rio, but. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I'm not a mayo guy. I have no idea, but I, I like I liked the visuals swimming in the mayonnaise. And you know, this, this notion that trust is the absolute key when you ask people to wade into uncertainty that I, I, I don't know where we're going. Or I don't know where we're going to end up, but I know where we want. I know why we want to take the trip. Yeah. You know, and whether it's a B Corp or whether it's students who are looking for more, uh, you know, socially responsible leadership or people trying to launch social enterprises. I know why I'm starting. I don't know where it's going to end, but I know why I'm starting. If we can all agree on why we're starting this journey together, ultimately... Where we end up is going to be good because we all, we all value the intent of taking the first step. Yep. Agreed. Well, thanks so much, Drew. It's great, uh, great learning about Mzingo, your work, and B Corps, and Mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me,
2: Gary. I appreciate it.
1: We want to thank Drew Bonfiglio from Enzingo for taking us through the origins of the company, the B Corp movement, creating high touch moments to establish trust and seeing business as a potential source and force for good. You can learn more about Drew Mzingo and how to swim in mayonnaise in our show notes. Mm-hmm. And as always, we want to get in contact with you and hear about your thoughts and what's happening in your world. Do you believe that businesses can in fact be a force for good? What might that look like? Do you try to support B Corp's and their products when you can? And what are some of the challenges that you see from moving from a shareholder model to a stakeholder model when it comes to economy, capitalism, and businesses? As always, you can shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com or hop in the conversation on our LinkedIn page.
0: And we want to give a special thanks to RGI Creative, who recognized us on international podcast day as a podcast to listen to. So thanks to RGI for sharing the love for experience by design. We more than appreciate it and we always appreciate you. And as always are happy to bring this content to you to create new ideas, new thoughts, new pathways around what experience design means and how we can be doing it. So thank you so much for making Experience by Design part of your podcast listening experience. And also, as we creep up on the 9,000 download mark, we couldn't have literally done it without you. As always, if you're looking... To share your own experience design story and journey, feel free to reach out to us about being on the podcast or even sponsoring an episode. And as always, you can show your support and appreciation by buying us a coffee through our website at experiencexdesign.com. Dot com And as Adam referenced, feel free to share your feedback at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast for free, you can do so over at our website, just by giving us your email to stay up to date on all of the experience by design news, which there will be plenty coming up very shortly. I got some very exciting things to talk about and some exciting partnerships. So we look forward to bringing that to you directly. So as always be safe, be kind, be well, and for sure, be here on the next experience by design.